So I'm Kimberly Clare. I'm on staff here at SCUM. Um, I'm wondering how many people here tonight are here for the first time. Can you raise your hand? Whoa. There's a lot of people here and here. Well, welcome. That's kind of awesome. Um, you are here with us on one of the warmest evenings of the year. Welcome. <laughs> I don't know what the high was today, but it was 93 in here when I got here at 3 o'clock. So it's significantly cooler than that now. So it's good to see you all. Thanks for coming, even though it's really hot. So I'm wondering if any of you have ever been asked when you were in elementary school to leave the classroom. I was. I like that the senior pastor raised his hand really high. So I did because I usually was turned around talking to my neighbor behind me like this or like this, depending on which side you're on. And the other thing I got caught for doing was trading stickers because I had a big book that I traded stickers with people. But some of you may have got caught trading garbage pail kids. Or I want to know if any of you did this. We had this thing where we would take different color erasers and we would erase them till they turn into dust on our desks. And then in Ziploc bags, we'd put the different colors and make like different arrangements. And then we would trade those bags. Did anyone else have that weird thing like I did? Nobody. <laughs> That's pretty weird. Yeah, that was sixth grade Sacramento, California thing, I guess. <laughs> Um, so anyways, I kind of felt bad for my teachers because they had to ask me to leave sometimes when they were just trying to teach kind of shameful. Um, that was at least how I felt when I was asked to leave the class. Another thing that happened to me was I was standing with a group of friends and a boy, this is in the fifth grade and a boy came up to me and he, this meant that he wanted to fight me, and I know because he said it to other boys. And he came up to me and he said, I call you out. <laughs> I didn't even know why he wanted to fight me. But I was so scared, and my friends just kind of like enveloped me, and I didn't have to fight him. It was just kind of weird. But I was really humiliated because he called me out like that. But sometimes getting called out, getting set apart, isn't humiliating or shameful. It's actually good. Um, I asked in morning church this morning if anyone had been homecoming queen or king, and somebody yelled out, this is scum of the earth. <laughs> so I took that as a no. But what if you were picked as employee of the month, or you got a bonus because you did something really good? Those are good reasons to get called out. It's an honor. Well, tonight, the passage that we're looking at, there's a guy that gets called out from the crowd that he's a part of. And it's not because he is shamed, and it's not because he's humiliated, and it's not because he's honored. It's for something completely different. There is a deaf and mute man that a crowd brings before Jesus to be healed, and Jesus sets him apart. So please turn with me. We're going to go to the Bible, to Mark 7, 31 to 37. If you don't have a Bible and you want one, there's bunches back at the Scoop It's Gum. Adam and Nick and Meg are all holding them up. There might even be a cool one, like a teen study Bible. I don't know. 
Or an adventure Bible. Yeah. Um, if you don't want to do that, it'll also be up there too. What? Mark 7, 31 to 37. Okay. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. Does anyone know what any of that just meant? (laughs) I'm going to explain it then. So, basically what it's saying is that... Hmm... Okay, here's the Sea of Galilee. I was hoping I'd have hands for this. Um, Here's the Sea of Galilee, and here's the Mediterranean Sea. And Tyre is over on the Mediterranean Sea, so Jesus has gone from the Sea of Galilee region over to Tyre, which is like a coastal town on the Mediterranean Sea. And then he went through Sidon, which he went up. So Sidon is north, and then... He dropped back down below the Sea of Galilee into the region of the Decapolis. So it was a 120-mile route. He went completely out of his way. I kind of did some map quest things, and it's close because it's 139 miles. It's close to going from Denver to Fort Collins to go to Golden. That doesn't really make a lot of sense. So it's about 20 miles more, but you get the idea that that Jesus went like way horseshoe out of his way into this predominantly Gentile region. The Jewish people expected him probably to remain with them. I mean, he was one of them. So he was showing, just just caveat here, a little side note, basically the deal is he was showing that his geogra- even in his geographical tour, that he was bringing redemption and salvation to all people, even outside of where people expected him to go. All of that just from Tyre, Sidon, and Decapolis. Let's move on. So there there in the Decapolis, some people, a crowd, brought to Jesus a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. Some translations say mute, Um, The word there, shoot, I didn't write it down. Mogilalos, thank you, Um, nodding Craig Blomberg head. (laughs) Mogilalos, which means a speech impediment. Um, It doesn't necessarily mean he couldn't talk at all, but he couldn't talk very well. So this crowd brought the man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus, they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After Jesus is the he, after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears, like that, and then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephaphtha. Did I say that right? Good. (laughs) It means be opened. So he looked up to heaven, which symbolizes where the power came from. And the deep sigh signified his prayer. And ephaphtha is Aramaic, the common language. So he said a word that everybody there could understand. 
Jesus was praying to the Father, asking for the man's ears and mouth to be opened in a very common way. So at this, verse 35, at this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. The Greek is even more vivid. It says, literally, the chain of his tongue was broken. So if we were to read that more literally, it would read, at this, the man's ears were opened, the chain of his tongue was broken. And he began to speak plainly. So we get kind of this sense of freedom that he has when his tongue is loosened. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So Jesus set this man apart. He pulled him out of the crowd. He removes him. And this is really significant because he didn't remove him because he was a problem, like humiliated or shamed, like when we were first talking about being removed from the classroom. And he didn't remove him because he was necessarily like to be honored, but rather He removed him because he was a unique individual who needed care. By pulling him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus preserved this man's dignity and had deep compassion on him. He said, you matter as a person apart from this crowd. You are valuable. And in addition, it's an incredibly humble move on Jesus' part. I mean, he has the ability to heal in this huge crowd. But he says, no, I'm going to go do it over here where not everybody can quite see what's going on. You see, healings at this time usually happen in public. They usually were almost magical events, kind of circus-like, lots of... um, salves and different elements were used in funky phrases that people really didn't know what they were. So what Jesus does is really significant because it's different than what they would have expected him to do. I'm just struck by how compassionate Jesus is. And even more compassionate is his physical touch. Because it's common, but it's surprising. He uses his fingers and his spit. And he touches the man's tongue and he uses a common word. Okay, now how many of you are wondering about the spit? (laughs) There's lots of theories about it. Um, When I first read the passage, it made me think of the time when I used to want my brother's cookie when I was little. So I would lick it and then it was mine he'd get really mad because he hated my spit. So when I really wanted to gross him out, because I'm an older one, he's four years younger. When I really wanted to gross him out, I'd just walk up to him and lick his face. Just, (laughs) he gets so mad. But I don't think that Jesus is doing that here. 
Now, here's the big question. Did the spit actually, did he actually spit in his mouth? Did, did the spit even get in his mouth? Honestly, we don't really know. But I will tell you that there's a story in Mark 8 that we're going to come up to in a few weeks. Mark 8, 23, where he's healing a blind man. And, he, and it says, he t- that's kind of funky. That's okay. Um, I think it's he took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? So that's like one chapter later. There's something about spit that Jesus is using as a symbol of healing here. But Jesus is kind of being a little countercultural because spit, along with a lot of other bodily fluids, um, like pus and urine and blood, were insulting, unclean, and gross. We probably feel the same way. Yet, Jesus' spit in both of these passages is seen as healing. So either way, whatever the spit was for, wherever it went, whatever happened, because there's debate even just right here when I ask the question. This man couldn't speak and he couldn't hear and all he could do was see. And Jesus made it obvious to him what he was doing. Through his fingers and his ears, through the spit, through touching his tongue. Either way, Jesus wanted This is important. Think about it. The man is deaf, can't hear, basically can't talk. What what faculties does he have left? His eyes. So Jesus is displaying for him what he can expect. Jesus uses common things, fingers, spit, words, And then kind of a visible prayer, you know? He didn't really even say much. He wanted the man to know that God was healing him and that he could expect to be healed. There's something significant, I think, about this man not being able to hear or speak. I got to thinking about what happens when we don't hear, when we don't understand When we don't listen well. We certainly can't speak well. And so to help this man speak, Jesus stuck his fingers in his ears. And sometimes I think we need Jesus to stick his fingers in our ears. To unclog them so that we can hear. Has there ever been a time when you haven't heard well? When you haven't listened well, when you have needed Jesus to stick his fingers in your ears to unclog them. I think there's things that keep us from hearing. Sometimes it reminds me of kids sticking their fingers in their ears like, la, 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 I can't hear you. Parents, I know that you have seen this. Well, I kind of did this. I didn't do the whole like, la, 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 you can't hear me. I mean, I can't hear you kind of thing, but... When I was in the second grade, my mom had this rule that I couldn't ride my bike down the alley, or it was kind of more of a street that was next to our house. Um, 
we, we lived in the Central Valley of California, and so there was this huge vineyard field and then a ditch, which if any of you have been in agricultural land, ditches can be kind of dangerous, actually. They're pretty deep, and the water um, isn't very clean. There's a lot of junk in them a lot. So there was a ditch and then the road, a sidewalk, and then our fence. And so it was very... Cars drove really fast down that road. It was a country road. Um, it just really wasn't safe. There was a lot of glass, and I was like six. So my mom really didn't want me riding my bike down there. Oh, and I had a yellow banana seat bike with handlebars like this with streamers off the end. It was awesome. And just a side note, I had to ride that bicycle to piano lessons, and my mom made me wear party dresses with, like, frilly crinoline underneath. I feel like I've told you all that before, but I don't know. So anyways, that was my bike. You can picture me on that bike. So I really, really wanted to ride down this alley, kind of side street, country road thing, because I could go really fast. There were none of those, like, dips in the sidewalk because there were no driveways. So I wanted to go on this sidewalk, and my friend and I decided we're going to do it. So what we did was my house was on one end of the street and hers was on the other. So we rode on the street end and then we rounded the corner to the other side. And we rode all the way down really, really fast. And then I started thinking, oh no, mom's going to find out. We better get back really fast. So I started pedaling even faster and we come around the corner and my bike just goes and I fall on my left arm. And it breaks. There was no hiding this. I full-on broke my arm. Needed a cast the whole bit. I was so caught. I didn't really listen well. I had stuck my fingers in my ears. And I broke my arm because of it. (laughs) I think we do that sometimes. You know? I think there's reasons why we can't hear more than just that we don't want to. Things that clog our ears like fear, despair, depression, anger. It's not just because we don't want to hear. I've asked myself a lot this week, these questions. Where am I deaf? Where in my life am I deaf? Where am I mute? Where am I mogilalos, unable to speak? Where do I need efafta to be opened? Well, all I heard was silence. Nothing, nothing came to my mind. And I finally realized It's really hard to know because I can't hear. I can't even open my mouth to ask because I don't even know what to ask for. I don't even know what to listen for. So just as this man needed others to bring him forward and beg Jesus to stick his fingers in his ears and to put touch his tongue, I need the same thing. I need others to bring me forward and ask Jesus 
to open my ears and loosen my tongue. Sometimes each one of you needs other people to bring you forward to God. Have you ever been brought forward? Prayed for, interceded for before God by your friends, by your family, by your community, by your church? Maybe it's even happened here, like you've used the prayer box in the back and 30 people have prayed for you throughout the week. Or maybe you've gotten prayer in the prayer cave during our time of worship at the end. People have brought you forward. Well, let me tell you a story about a time when I was brought forward. It was an unexpected time. When I was set apart from the crowd, when I was touched, I had my ears unclogged. I need some water first. How many of you are familiar with Arvada Vineyard and Jay Pathic? Yay. A few of you. Well, we had the privilege about, I think it was two years ago. Was it two years ago? Yeah, about two years ago. He came to teach us about prayer at staff meeting. And it was really good. Like what he, what he brought as material was just new, new but the same. Like it was the same stuff I already knew, but it was richer. It was deeper. It was like it had deeper roots or something. And at the end he said, okay, now let's practice everything I taught you. But before we do, there's someone that I, God has told me that I need to pray for specifically that's here. (laughs) And he said, as I was preparing for our time together, God showed me three things about this person. So you'll know who you are. So just let me know. So he, he said the three things, and right now I can't remember, to be honest, what they were. But I do know that they were all about me. And I sat there against the wall on the floor of the Jesse's living room, and I was paralyzed. God wanted to say something to me. And Jay looked around the room, and he waited for someone to be like, me, me, it's me. But nobody did. Because I kept waiting, like, maybe this applies more to somebody else than to me. And, like, waiting for somebody else to go, oh, yeah, that's totally me. (laughs) And then I'd be off the hook. But nobody did. Then suddenly, his eyes scanning around the room locked on mine. And Jay was like, is it you? And people tell me I wink a lot. So I I winked at him. And I don't do it flirtatiously. I don't even think about it. I just do it. It's like, hey, you're my friend, you know? So I winked at him because then I wouldn't have to open my mouth. I wouldn't have to say anything, right? And I was like, I think so. My palms were like sweating, dripping. Because, see, I'm a good little Presbyterian girl. We don't even clap in worship. We don't move. You just walk in. You sit down. And somebody preaches, and there's like liturgy, and the choir sings, and maybe you hum, and then you leave. And right now, there's a man telling me that God has a word for me. See, because God could have said anything at that point, and I knew it. 
Well, Jaga and I got up, and we moved into the dining room while everyone else stayed in the living room. So remember how Jesus took the man away from the crowd? Well, I was taken into the dining room. He immediately put his hand on my shoulder and started praying for me. And it was something fairly generic, kind of like a blessing, and that was good because it made me relax. I was like, okay, this is normal. I can handle this. This isn't so weird, kind of normal. I'm all right. And then he stopped, and he looked at me, and we're kind of in this awkward moment because we're standing fairly close, and he looks up at me, and I look up at him, and he goes, I have a vision I want to share with you. Is that okay? Hmm. In my notes, the okay is in five-point font. Okay. Um, It was a very small okay. I was very uncertain whether I wanted to hear it or not. So Jay described this vision. And basically, here's what it was. This plane of land with a line of people. And I was moving down the line, and suddenly... Oh, and I, I was moving down the line of people, and I was caring for each person... And suddenly the line ended, and I fell over the cliff. And then he said he saw it again with a line of people that, or when I got to the end of the line of people, there was another line, but it was going the other direction. It was blocking the edge of the cliff. And so I didn't go over the edge. So it was like if there would be like a group of people here and I couldn't fall over. His comment after describing this vision to me was, you are gifted to care for people, but you will care for people to the detriment of yourself. So you need people in your life who will pay attention for you, who will come and say, hey, are you taking the time you need for yourself? How are you? Are you talking to God? You see, he was telling me that basically my greatest gift was also the possibility of being my greatest weakness. I mean, we we hear that sometimes, like that our greatest gift can be our greatest weakness. We get prideful about it. We get arrogant. For me, what Jay was telling me was I could fall right off the end of the cliff. His vision was a caution. And it unclogged my ears. His vision, the way I see it, was Jesus' fingers in my ears saying, Be opened, Ephaphtha. He helped me to hear that God intimately cared about me and that I was taken aside into the dining room because I was valuable. And I was worth being cared for and worth having my ears opened. I was healed from the thinking that I wasn't important and that I wasn't worth it. I'm still grateful today for this unclogging. I know that God wants me to be cared for and I know he loves me. And since the day of my unclogging, I have been intentional about getting that row of people up because I don't want to fall off the edge of the cliff. And those people are so gracious 
and care for me so well. So you should know that I don't share this story with you to tell you that I need somebody to care for me because over the last two years, I've really been intentional about that. And it's good. And I'm still learning. But I'm telling you this story because I don't think that being taken aside and having ears open and mouths loosed is something that is unique to the deaf-mute man or even unique for me. Because God wants your ears to be opened and your tongue to be loosed. He wants a fafta for you. He wants you to know his love. So ask yourself today, what is it that you aren't hearing? Do you need your community and your family, your friends to bring you forward to Jesus for healing because you don't know? Do you need prayer? If so, ask for it. Ask for intercession. Ask for the crowd to push you forward. Now there's that fear and that anxiety and that, oh, no, 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 no. But Jesus is gracious and kind and compassionate. So you don't have to be afraid. Because he knows exactly what you need. And whether you want to or not, he will send somebody eventually into your life. Even the good little Presbyterian girl heard from God in a vision. So he eventually, if he has a word for you, will bring it forward. But the important thing is being open and willing to receive it. So I challenge you, scum of the earth church, and dear people who are visiting us today, pray for each other. Bring each other forward because God has something to say. Jesus wants to put his fingers in your ears and touch your tongue so that you will be opened and know he loves you so much. Tonight, We're going to have time when you can come forward to receive prayer. Prayer to ask God for the unclogging of your ears, the unstopping of your speech for ways that you need to be opened, to be released and set free. So there's going to be a bunch of people in the prayer cave who would love to pray with you. There's also the prayer box in the back that if you don't feel like you're ready to come forward to be prayed for, that you can put a prayer request in that box and we will pray for you too. And if either one of those don't work, then turn to your neighbor and have that person pray for you. Or when you get home, whoever you live with, have them pray for you. Or tomorrow, when you see your friend, have them pray for you. But don't go without having somebody pray for you. And you can't say that you don't need it because everybody does. Everybody. Tonight we're also going to be celebrating that Jesus is the one who sets us free and who unclogs our ears. Through communion 
we remember who Jesus was and who he is today for us. The last night that Jesus with his, was with his friends, he um, took a loaf of bread and he broke it. And um, it was the symbol of his body being broken on the cross. And he also took a cup and told them that it too was going to be the remembrance of the shedding of his blood for the atonement of our sins. It says here in 1 Corinthians 11, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and whenever you drink this cup, You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Here at SCUM, all who profess that Jesus is Lord and Savior is welcome to share and come and share the communion, even if it's your first time. We'll have three stations, two up here and one in the back. And if before or after communion you'd like prayer, people will be there. So please come forward and receive communion and receive prayer. And may you be opened to what God has for you. Amen.